Well, hey there, freaks. This week's episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You already know the Cash App is the number one finance app on the App Store. What you might not know is that you can also put Cash App in your wallet with the Cash Card. We've talked about this many times. The Boost program on the Cash Card is one of the best things out there right now. Save yourself some money. Look cool. Uh, download the Cash App. Get the Cash Card. It's the only debit card that offers instant rewards and comes packed with premium features not even a credit card can offer. Uh, save up to 10% at Whole Foods, Chipotle, or Shake Shack, and more of your favorite spots. You get $1 off any coffee shop you go to when you swipe your Cash Card uh, anywhere across the country. The Cash Card puts you in control of your money with extra in-app safety features that let you pause your card with a touch. Leave your wallet in an Uber with your cash card in it. Uh, don't want anybody swiping it at a bodega. Toggle it off in the app. Nobody will be able to move their money. Unlike a credit card, there are no fees ever, and a credit check isn't required to get one. We are not using the other apps anymore. I don't even know their names anymore. I forgot about them. So visit the App Store or Google Play Market to download the Cash App now and get your free cash card today. Enjoy this episode with Pierre Rochard, Freaks. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Power week of content. We're on day seven. Five people in seven days. And we're wrapping up this week with the person who helped me launch this podcast, at least this interview series. Uh, I want to uh, reintroduce you, freaks, to Pierre Rochard. Pierre, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Um, just uh, Mike rules. Got to talk to it a little bit closer. We're not in the Barstool studios. Uh, we we were talking about this uh, before we hit record. A lot has changed since uh, our first interview about a year ago. Uh, we were at Barstool, number one. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, at least I did from a podcast host perspective. Uh, you were gamefully employed. Uh, you still you're gamefully employed right now, but you uh, you were working for somebody else. Now you have your own business. Uh, you were childless at the at that point in time. You have had a child. Uh, Bitcoin advisory has been started, and uh, and Bitcoin's chugging on, still producing blocks. How's this last year been for you? Yeah, I I, I don't think anything's changed. We're probably like at the same price. Uh, I checked. We were actually uh, we're a bit higher than we were the day we uh, were about like four hundred dollars higher. Wow, Amazing. it was at like fifty eight hundred the day we recorded last year. Yeah, it's gonna be sad once the uh, twelve month returns are negative. So right now they're still they're still positive, uh, but yeah, give it a few months, right? Um, yeah, a lot has changed, um, and I I feel like though that a lot changes every month, uh, not just every year. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it goes in Bitcoin. It's been a year, but it feels like it's been a decade. I mean, we say that all the time, but yep, it truly is. A lot has happened. Uh, the debate has has moved from the fork wars and scaling to uh all right we're we're experimenting with lightning now and more people are starting to talk about fungibility some people are creeping inflation conversations into the mix as well and inflation bugs yes inflation bugs too uh big inflation bugs one in particular um yeah so it's been crazy uh we're wrapping up this week of interviews with you because it's the one year anniversary i gotta thank you for being the first guest really uh helped helped uh launch pad tales from the crypt into the into the psyche of the masses well uh, tales from the crypt helped launch pad noted i i don't think that i would have ever started noted if it wasn't for our interview really it's like 
I was like, man, that was that was fun. I want to have more like recorded conversations about Bitcoin. Well, uh, thank you for starting noted because uh, I don't tell many people this, but now the world's going to know. It's probably the only Bitcoin podcast I listen to, and Stefan's I'll listen to as well. Yeah, uh, just because I'm crunched for time, I'm always editing mine, writing something, right? Uh, recording uh, and noted. As soon as I get the notification that noted has dropped, uh, I I I jumped to listen with bated breath. And I got to thank you. Give me a couple shout outs in recent episodes with John Newberry. Yeah, I mean, anytime that we have a guest in common, I definitely want to give you a shout out because uh, really I want to not have too much content overlap between our podcasts so that because I know that a lot of people are subscribed to both. Yeah. Uh, So I want to respect their time and not like retread old ground uh, when I have a guest that we you had on before. Yeah, no, I think they're very complimentary, different different styles. Um, and one thing we have to do, we have to get Michael in the studio. We have to get all three of us in a room together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it would also be fun to have Stefan Levera on as That's well. That's true, we yeah. Had, <clears throat> we've got four seats here, and uh, we could uh, fill it with podcasters and Vortex as well. We recently had Vortex on Noted, and uh, yeah, he was just dropping napalm bombs all over. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was. Uh, very excited to see... Uh, the fruits of the planting that he's doing with his dev boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's a, so it's a C sharp dev boot camp that he's doing with Nicholas Doria. That's kind of centered around BTC pay server. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's very complimentary with what I'm doing, uh, on the lightning side and we can get into that at some point too. Yeah. Before we get into that, let's reminisce a little bit. What's, uh, the narrative has changed. Uh, last time we spoke recorded, uh, last time we recorded a podcast, uh, we were gearing up for the run to 20k on the way up. Now we're 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 hovering around 6,500 on the way down. Volatility is at an all-time low or close to all-time lows. Yep. Uh, and it seems like markets are getting desperate. People are getting a little tired. A lot of a lot of fighting going on in crypto Twitter. Yeah, in crypto Twitter and and in private Slack channels as well. <laughs> that is right. And uh, on Telegram, uh, I think we're we're seeing some people plausibly setting themselves up to rage quit uh what and i i want to be clear about what a rage quit is because i think that there's some confusion about this on crypto twitter let's clear it up a rage quit is not when you're short-term bearish on the price but long-term bullish on the fundamentals Mm -hmm. to me a rage quit is when you were long-term bullish on fundamentals and you have turned long-term bearish and you think bitcoin's going to zero or it's just never going to go back up at any point in the future. So that that to me is like, that's when your psychology has reached complete capitulation and you you know get an op, uh, an opinion piece in the New York Times blog like uh, like we had last last cycle with Mike Hearn. Yeah, j- January February two thousand fifteen was uh yeah. Probably right around the local bottom. So I think that to get another local bottom, we've got to wait until someone legit rage quits. Yeah, Bitcoin. it seems like the uh, the tides are staring in the in the channels in the social channels. A lot of people are getting antsy. Uh, again, like time preference, people just can't take. Is, boring. is this what like fraternity hazing is like? <laughs> uh, you know, you see like people capitulating one by one, and then. Only the strong survive. I, you know, not not that I'm endorsing fraternity hazing. I was not in a fraternity, and I wasn't. I, I, it's it's a source of physical danger and should be illegal and <laughs> is illegal. Uh, but 
we kind of have a similar process of like hazing participants in the markets by inflicting as much pain on them as possible. <laughs> and really, it's like entirely psychology driven because you have people who like panic bought the top and mm-hmm. one by one, like they have to come to the conclusion of like, you know what? I should sell now and I'll buy back, you know, when it's at $3,000 and that means that I'll, you know, double my money, which like will somehow make up for the losses from blah, blah, blah. Like they find ways to rationalize whether it's on the buying side or on the selling side, you know, they've, uh, the human mind is so frail and weak, (laughs) right? And it's only been 11 months since the top. Yeah, not even a year. This is a, a multi-decade, multi-century, multi-generation phenomena. We're in the first inning yep. still, for sure. And this bear market feels different than the last one. Um, Why is that? It. Um, I'd have to look at the numbers, but it certainly feels like it is uh, less full of hope on every bounce up, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot more. Um, kind of well people i hear more chatter about hey this is going to be a long bear market than i did in 2014 yeah i mean it's i mean our our good friend murad uh he he's he's our in-house uh bearish bull and he thinks that we're gonna have a, a very extended prolonged bear market i'm not sure how much i agree with him on that but yeah i'm, I'm not sure as well i think that one stat that I really want to see, and I haven't seen a solid number on it, is how many people are auto buying bitcoins every two weeks, and like what volume, what dollar volume of inflows into the Bitcoin markets is that? Um, I'm raising my hand right now. I'm still, yeah, I'm still DCAing in. Yeah, uh, I'll make bigger purchases every once in a while, but does does uh, Square Cash app have a auto buy feature? Uh. We should pitch that to them if they don't. I think that's a very important feature for Bitcoin's liquidity. I think they might. Uh, I know they have auto buying for or auto convert, like sending cash from your account to the yeah. app. I don't know if they have auto buying on Bitcoin yet. Let me check. Let me open up my Cash App, the only app we're using for buying Bitcoin these yeah. days. No, that's that's why I brought them up. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention their competitor that I know has an auto buy feature. Uh, but they'll go unnamed because, hey, they don't sponsor podcasts. No, they don't. And it doesn't look like Square has uh, or Cash App has an auto buy for Bitcoin yet. We'll have to uh, put Lobby. that. Yeah, we'll have to put a ticket into Miles uh, to see if we can yeah. get that added. Yeah. Um, but this is actually a good segue into a piece you wrote about or piece you dropped last week that I wrote about in the bent, uh, basically describing the uh, the buyers of last resort and the hodlers of last resort in Bitcoin. You described yeah. six different types of buyers of last resort, I believe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and so basically my inspiration was from a podcast I did with Trace Mayer. Mm-hmm. And what Trace's, uh, Trace's phrase was holders, hodlers of last resort. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be very... It's it's first of all it's a provocative statement because you're reappropriating uh, Fed culture, <laughs> right? So in some circles, it's probably politically incorrect to to do that. Uh, I think on Marty Ben's podcast, Tales from the Crypt, it's it's an okay subject. We're to okay approach. to get a little little. We we don't stray down the PC path. We, yeah. we stray off that path. Yeah. So um, 
the the phrase that it is uh aping and imitating is uh lender of last resort mm-hmm. and a lender of last resort is necessary in a fiat fractional reserve banking system uh because uh you can otherwise get into a deflationary spiral um when credit expansion is increasing uh and it's you know the the banking system is growing the economy is growing quote unquote um you have uh, the creation of money when a bank lends out, like they, uh, you know, put money, cash in your bank account, um, and you know they find a way to offset it. Well, so they they then have a liability right on their balance sheet as well, um, and the Federal Reserve makes them keep a certain reserve ratio. Uh, but basically, the whole idea is that lending new money creates new money. Um, and the reverse process is true when people are paying off loans and no new loans are getting created, then essentially money is getting destroyed. And when money gets destroyed in that kind of process, then prices either stagnate or go down and you have deflation. And that actually arguably makes it harder to service your debts. And then you, you get into like a deflationary spiral where People end up defaulting on their debts and banks, you know, default as well. And then they're insolvent and then they need to get uh, taken over or they just collapse and destroy even more money. So anyway, this this process is broken by a lender of last resort who steps into the market and says, you know what? I'm going to lend money uh, if you've got good collateral and let's get this process of money creation going again. Yeah, Um so that's something we're very uh, abreast to in the traditional financial system, and that's basically what happened in 2008. The lender last resort came in. And it's in- weird to me that there's like this stigma of like, like bailouts. Oh man, yeah, they bailed out Wall Street. It's like, well, yeah, that's like what Their they're job. there for. That's the <laughs> they're the lender of last resort. Like we knew about this for a while. Like, why is this shocking to people? Right, and they injected uh, three point five trillion dollars into the economy i believe yeah uh trillion with a t uh, balance sheet at the time of the qe expansion the inception of the qe expansion and tarp i believe their balance sheet was like 850 billion yeah so with with qe what happens is that they uh so the, you know the the federal government runs a massive deficit and issues billions of dollars worth of debt every year and that that's so that's a deficit and uh, every year, the deficit gets added to this big pool that we call the national debt. Um, <laughs> it's getting high. Yeah, it's getting high. Uh, and that national debt is owned by investors, bond investors, who are trying to earn a rate of return or trying to protect their capital. And it's generally seen, because the U.S. government is like the world superpower, it's seen as the least risky lending you can do is to the federal government. But point being that the Fed in, with QE went into the bond market and purchased bonds from, you know, private and foreign investors alike uh, and, you know, was outbidding other buyers. And when they bought bonds, they created money, much like a commercial bank would make money when they lend out money. Mm-hmm. And so in your paper, you did a great job of analogizing this type of system to Bitcoin and describing the different types of hodlers of last resort, uh, which I think is important because there's very different types of investors and people that are buying at certain points in time. And I think you did a very good job of sort of drawing a broad landscape of the different types of buyers uh, that that help set a floor for Bitcoin. Yeah. And really, the, the main thing is that 
currently, if we look at what kind of system is Bitcoin from a monetary perspective, uh, what, what we have in front of us today, and it may change in the future, but I'm just describing present reality, is that we have, uh, first of all, a, a very sound money uh, that has you know, a very well understood uh, rate of supply coming onto the market. Um, and there's a lot of clarity around the monetary policy. Now there's a lot of technology risk that kind of offsets that advantage. Um, but at the financial system layer, we have a 100% reserve uh, banking system. And so even participants like Coinbase at least purport to be 100% uh, mm -hmm. reserve. Um, you know, maybe some have been hacked and they're insolvent and we don't know. But broadly speaking, like the, the system that's getting built with exchanges is 100% reserve. Um, so in that kind of system, the new money gets created when people are mining. And there's there's real money being uh, spent on mining. So it's not like this money is getting created out of thin air. Uh like, I don't know that miners have that great of profit margins right now, so it's probably break even. Very thin. Yeah, or very thin. So in that regard, I wouldn't even consider that seniorage. Like, people see that as seniorage. I don't because you're basically earning a market rate of return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's an important concept to understand what mining in particular and why proof of stake might not be a good alternative that and and like for example like ripple ripple d spends zero dollars when they quote unquote mine uh their xrp well this is actually a good you're king of segues for me and you're in another twitter or i don't even know if the first thing we talked about was on twitter debate it was a paper you wrote but yeah. you were in a twitter debate with a, a, a multi-coiner uh talking about uh the Bitcoin's initial distribution, comparing it to Ethereum's, and whether oh, yeah. or not uh, one is more ethical than the other. Yeah. It's subjective. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, uh, well, let, let me get to that. I wanted to uh, just put a button on it in that um, the, the system I described with, with uh, Bitcoin's uh, coming onto the market for mining means that Bitcoin is not vulnerable to the same problem that I just described with fractional reserve banking. And so Bitcoin doesn't need a lender of last resort. Mm -hmm. There's barely even a credit market on top of Bitcoin. So like that would be, it, it's minuscule and it, it's not, like if, if the Bitcoin credit market collapsed, it's basically like Unchained people who borrowed Bitcoins to, to short sell it or something like that. Okay. And that wouldn't, that, you know, it wouldn't cause the price of Bitcoin to collapse um people argue that if if like tethers was fractional reserve that that would cause the price of bitcoin to collapse i don't know where they get that idea from like it, the mechanics of that don't make sense to me at all why is that because you have people who are holding tethers who are out you know x number of dollars how is that related to bitcoin at all like, <laughs> right i, I I, I get that it's it's people who maybe they were active traders and that perhaps they would have been buyers of Bitcoin at some point in the future. Um, but look, there's a lot of competition to buy Bitcoins today. Like, I don't see uh, them being the the marginal price setter. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just sick of the tether thud. It just needs to go away. I mean, I think they're, act they're actually, I think what Hasu wrote, they might actually sneakily just be unwinding tether 
Uh, Look, I, I have no inside knowledge on it. I but my troll opinion is that I want tethers. I want each unit of tethers to turn out to be worth zero dollars, <laughs> and I want it to just collapse immediately. <laughs> and then, uh, look, I'm pro Bitcoin. All right, I'm not pro tethers. I don't know why you're not pro fiat coins. Yeah, and I feel the same way about Ethereum. Like, yeah, I do hope its price goes to zero tomorrow. I want everyone to be punished. Anyone who didn't hold bitcoins, I want them to be punished, whether it's tethers or or EOS or XRP. So I don't see why people are so spun up about it. Yeah, and does this stem from uh, the uh, initial distribution uh, or the signage that these projects uh no no, well i mean with tether specifically i think it stems from the fact that people want to be effortlessly or frictionlessly trying to time the market of bitcoin usd yeah right and so they're trading in and out of tethers because one day they think the bitcoin's gonna go up tomorrow and the next day they think it's gonna go down and like i i find uh short-term speculative behavior like that to be uh, I, I frown upon it like uh, I, I <laughs> and I have this bias because I have this bias in equity markets as well is that uh, I don't think you should be timing the market I think that like the way that you make money should be by creating goods and services and selling them to on the market not like trying to time capital markets yeah trying to short term bank on Bitcoin uh, holy that's another thing uh, there's a lot of people out there who live solely off bitcoin i just want to like send out like a message of uh of caution to these people who live solely on bitcoin like it's it's very risky i like the fact that i have a a paying job that uh yeah that has so, a steady paycheck so i think it's important to still make usd or that's your true. Native currency while being a bitcoiner I, I would caveat that with like the, the concept of a safe withdrawal rate in finance, where basically with like uh, a portfolio of stocks and like it's you know let's say the S and P five hundred, if you back tested it since I think it was like early nineteen hundreds, they did this it's called the Trinity study. They basically determined that you could withdraw four percent per year, and you would continue to have like the standard of living that you have with four percent. So like. If it's a million dollars, that's forty grand a year that you could be taking out to live off of. Now, that that research was done with like equities market, which is a very different beast than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And if you did it again with Bitcoin, I think you would have some like very different results. And like, who knows what percentage is a safe withdrawal rate? But with that caveat, like if you're Roger Ver and you're sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. The safe withdrawal rate is greater than 0%. Like, <laughs> it's going to be okay if you yeah. spend some Bitcoin on uh, whatever the hell Roger Ver spends his Bitcoins on. It, it seems to be on Twitter sock puppets, but <laughs> I won't I won't stoop down to that level. I won't to speculate too long on that. We only like to share facts here, Pierre. We can't have this fake news spread. On yeah, the thanks crypt. for fact-checking me, Marty. That's why I come on your show. I don't know if uh, you may you may have just spoken a fact though. I just I just I don't I'm not I don't know for sure. You did speak a fact because Bitcoin.com was paying people to retweet shit back in the day. So look, trust, don't verify. That's okay? true. That's that's yeah. all I say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's uh, don't don't trust don't trust ver verify. Yeah. yeah, got the sticker on my laptop. It's a good one. Thank you. It's uh it's a lonely sticker. 
Yeah, you know, actually, I got uh, more stickers at the Lightning Hackathon. I just haven't gotten around to uh, pasting them onto the back of my laptop. I also, i i have um, I have some anxiety about putting more stickers on my laptop because I've had uh, laptop cases that I put a bunch of stickers on that I was very proud of. And then, like, the case, like, somehow broke or wasn't or didn't fit my laptop because I changed laptops. And then I have to, like, leave those stickers behind. So I wish there was a way of, uh, you know, traveling with your stickers from laptop to laptop of different screen sizes and different cases. Might be a startup idea. That sounds like a very, I think that would get funded pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, not a big... I don't know how you would even technically do that. That sounds like it would be pretty hard. It might be impossible. But yeah. I, uh, I'm not a big sticker guy. I roll dog it on the laptop. No, no, yeah, no, I mean, it's also like these are beautiful pieces of engineering and maybe don't defile them with your nonsense stickers. With your propaganda. Yeah, my propaganda. Propaganda is important, especially in the bear market. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that um, I, I, I try to think of propaganda that is, first of all, like has some semblance of truth to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's... An objective third party, the reasonable person off the street, after, you know, hearing from different parties and like trying to gather some facts himself, would come to the conclusion that like Pierre has a plausible argument that he's making here. You know, like not not something that's absolutely uh, ridiculous because I do see like absolutely ridiculous propaganda out there, uh, both like on for Bitcoin, anti Bitcoin, for altcoins or whatever. What's the most ridiculous propaganda you're seeing these days? Uh, well, like an egregious one is the premise that Ripple is decentralized. (laughs) (laughs) I think that one's, first of all, it's like hysterical, but also that whole community is basically, and it's funny because, you know, we, Bitcoin critics are like, oh, Bitcoin maximalists are in a cult. I like this cult. Big fan of the cult. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the cult. And it goes back to like the, the reasonable man off the street, like, give me nine hours with a jury you know and and then have them deliberate is pierre beyond any reasonable doubt inside a cult (laughs) you know like i think that would be an interesting trial to have and i will represent myself as you know my own attorney in this trial um and and then have a uh, let's i would maybe you'd want to have somehow a sample of ripple shills off of twitter and have them be like the other the side. Counter argument. Hmm? The counter argument. The counter The counter argument. Yeah, and and then we can switch places. And then I think that a jury would would at least have like maybe not beyond any reasonable doubt, but they would definitely rank the probability of the XRP shill being in a cult higher than the one for for Bitcoin. Yeah, I would agree. Um, if you're just uh, randomly screaming at at people on Twitter. Uh, because they shit on on Ripple, it might be a sign if you're lashing out, you know. Yeah, there's that, and then they just have like bizarre notions of how how does a currency, how does a money accrue value, um, and it accrues value from more people holding it. They think that it accrues value from press releases about <laughs> pilot programs from from Ripple that don't use XRP. Like these people are. Uh, on a different um, level of sophistication when it comes to 
uh, the issue of money. <laughs> it uh, it's really a, a, a funny to watch them try to de-alienate between Ripple and XRP because uh, there is no. Let's be, we're being honest. There's no really uh, separation. Well, th- they also have like absurd memes. Uh, their most absurd meme I find is that basically the killer use case for XRP is in facilitating forex transactions because it can be a neutral um like almost a reserve currency what what paul krugman called a vehicle currency in international trade and so someone who has usd would buy xrp to send it to someone else who's like in the uk who would then sell the xrp for the british pound and like that that narrative when you know they use an absurd pair like british pound to usd that narrative gets challenged by inevitably gets challenged by someone who's like, look, British pound and USD like is one of the most liquid Forex pairs in existence. How the hell would XRP be more liquid than that? Like that's inconceivable. And they're like, then they back away from that. And they're like, well, look, there are very illiquid pairs that XRP would be good for, you know, like for example, British pound to, um, I don't know, Uzbeki, whatever ruble they use over there, right? Like (laughs) some kind of very small developing country uh, um, uh, currency. And it's like, yeah, but those are illiquid because no one does those currency pairs. Like those are illiquid for a reason. So who's going to consume the liquidity that you are somehow providing? It doesn't make any sense. And and how would XRP accrue value from that? Um, so I, I think that they are uh, w- one of the most absurd. And th- the the other thing that you can add to their absurdity is the size of their community. Like, I do think there's a non-negligible size of... Um, I can't tell if they're real or not. Well, so you would think that you would think that they're not real because of their presence on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I've met some in real life. Okay. And I know some f- through, you know like a friend of a friend mm-hmm. and there is like a real re- real retail market for XRP which has been you know promoted by Ripple and uh, I think that it's absurd also that Ripple tries to frame itself as like oh no we're for like banks and institutions and then all of the buyers of XRP are retail investors <laughs> right it's like wait why does a retail investor need to have like swift tokens in their in their investment portfolio like that doesn't make sense yeah and the ba- it, the banks that are purportedly part of their consortium have come out and said we'll probably never touch the token it's a total scam uh and then they hire bill clinton who's a rapist yes to attend their their conference they a rapist and a statist and a statist uh but in this era of me too, I would think that they would. That it's kind of tone deaf to invite Bill Clinton to your conference. Hey, whatever pumps the bags, you know. It, it, it didn't even pump the bags, though. Like, <laughs> it, I I don't know what that accomplished at all. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even really talk about Ripple at all, <laughs> and I'm sure he got paid like 250 grand to be there. So I maybe he could that. at least be like. You know, if you support Hillary Clinton, then maybe you should buy some XRP. <laughs> like, do a little infomercial like thing like that. But we at least get a paid shill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Y- use my Big Mac's referral. You know. 
<laughs> from the president who brought you Graham Leach Bliley. Yeah. Uh, now I, bringing you this shit coin. I wish I could do a better <laughs> Bill Clinton invitation. Uh, I should practice that, right? Um, so that, and then they had Ben Bernanke come <laughs> to the previous conference. So uh, they hired Ben Lasky to be on their board of directors, I think. Talk about a conflict of interest there. Hey, let's... Let me uh let me draft a bill that makes it uh, exceedingly hard for people to start businesses that pertain to Bitcoin in New York, and then hey, I'm gonna go lobby on behalf of some of these companies trying to get through uh, my lofty regulations. Well, there's that, and um, I also think that they have a relationship with like a former SEC commissioner, so they're trying to get out of the whole uh, ICO Who? trouble. Oh, uh, I thought you I thought you meant chair i tell you man uh like uh, no no not a chair i tell you meant greenspan or yelling no, volker's no, no, still no, kicking no. too no, well yeah. um th- there is a former chair of the sec who has done bitcoin related and stuff. you're talking about the sec not the fed i'm way off right now. yeah yeah uh but this sec commissioner in particular is like helping xrp uh as a legal counsel or something and yeah they just don't want it to be recognized as equity because XRP is supposed to not be equity, but it kind of looks like equity. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these shit coins do, I would argue. Yeah, highly centralized projects that advertise themselves otherwise. Well, let's jump into the little tangent that we almost went on earlier. Your your call out of multi-coinism and the, the initial uh, distribution of coins. Why is Bitcoin's fair and why do you think you caught out Ethereum specifically in this thread uh, for being somewhat less ethical of a distribution? Yeah, so... Uh, just to like kind of frame it, I think that we're talking about ethics and morality and what people should do, ought to do, uh, you know, concepts of fairness. And these are very subjective, uh, issues, right? And I don't mean that as in like, Hey, look, it's okay to stone someone to death if that's part of your culture. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just mean that um, different people have different points of views on it. And even though I think that my point of view is correct, uh, I recognize, I admit that other people have different points of views. And thus, for example, people are like, oh, well, if it's unethical, why does it have a positive market price? It's like, all right, well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's unethical to... Um, do do something like sell um i don't I, i'm trying to think of a good example um well uh I'm trying to think of an example that everyone would agree is is perhaps dubious um selling well, crack well, to a pregnant woman well yeah selling crack to a pregnant woman would probably uh fall under the banner of unethical um or like and this this spills over into the me too stuff of like Hey, this uh, producer asked for sexual favors in order to have you in your movie. Like, that's to me, that's unethical. Um, maybe it's illegal in some jurisdictions, but not all. Uh, and it seems to like have been at some point in many industries a uh, too frequent of a an practice. Event, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, all right, I, I recognize that a I think it's unethical. And I recognize that there's a market of it that's that's happening, right? Um, and so people are paying uh, for things that are unethical 
you know, whether it's monetarily or, or by getting a gig or whatever. Um, or, and frankly, it's also things like, um, if, if you are running a company and you get a job for your niece or nephew, mm-hmm. right? Like there are situations where that would arguably be unethical, um, even though it's, it's not illegal and you're not doing anything wrong per se. Um, it's just that you kind of cheated the system a little bit of people or of some people's notions of fairness. That's how a lot of people get jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I think that there's different views on that. So, and, and it's not like anyone thinks that, uh, one view should be legal or illegal. Anyway, I'm all, I'm saying all of this to say that uh, the ethics of the creation of money is also an area where there are different points of view, and a lot of it is legal and some of it is illegal. Uh, but uh, my my point of view is that any any kind of creation of money where you are not going to be uh, you're not going to have anyone compete with you for that creation of money. And thus, the marginal return from creating new money doesn't converge to a market rate of return that you would get from other uh, employments of capital. Um, then you have created a monopolistic privilege that I, it, it is at least unethical in my book. Possibly should be like illegal or violates the non-aggression principle. Uh, you know that that libertarians view as the litmus test for whether. Uh, you know, it should be uh, punishable, right? Um, and so specifically what I mean is that like in Bitcoin, anyone can mine and create new Bitcoins. And as we were discussing earlier, like if that means that there's an open market, a commoditized market for SHA-256 squared hash power and the consumption of electricity and ASICs and all of this, um, then a miner is not going to earn extraordinary returns. And I mean, like, that literally, like, extraordinary Billionaires returns. were made. Yeah, like, maybe the benchmark isn't, you know, the bond market of 3% per year return. Maybe the benchmark is returns from owning Bitcoins outright, you know, physical Bitcoins. Like, you have to ask yourself, like, is it more profitable to mine Bitcoins or to buy them today? Right. Like that's a calculation that you do getting into the mining business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, all this to say is that I don't think that Bitcoin's creation of money is 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 seniorage and I don't think it's unethical production of money. Thank you for clarifying that. That's a very thorough explanation. And I can contrast makes, that with other projects. Yeah, contrast it with Ethereum, the one you were calling out specifically well, today. Let's contrast it with the diametric opposite, which is XRP. <laughs> You're on a Ripple tear today. Yeah, well, I, I find it, uh, it. You know, Ripple has like. A, I'm not as threatened by Ripple. I'd rather talk about Ethereum, and I'm not really. No, threatened but I by do it. I do it for analytical purposes, not for uh, because I have a grudge against them. Okay. Because I'm I'm trying to show the opposite. Because I think. Uh, uh, I think that Ethereum is between XRP and Bitcoin in this regard. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about XRP. So they insta-mined all the XRP on day zero. 100 billion. Yeah, and allocated themselves a certain percentage of that and like have markets, have, have sold, you know, some along the way. 
you gotta keep the mic like yeah we got uh justin moon had the same problem too he was like all over talking like this that's fair yeah I, I like to use my hands and express myself and and i also think that i i yell too much so i feel like the mic could be on the other side of the room and would be okay no i think you're good with these mics too these mics are uh you have to get right into them gotcha gotcha yeah. uh so um yeah they created xrp out of thin air uh, so they had a monopoly on the creation of XRP, right? It's not like anyone can come in and be like, "Oh no, I, I'm going to be creating XRP on this on this same ledger," right? And this obviously they can come in and be like Stellar and create a new ledger, but uh, on the same ledger is kind of the key. There is, are you giving yourself a monopoly privilege on this ledger? It's not illegal to do that. I'm just saying that I think it's unethical uh, because you are essentially creating a very centralized distribution structure and there's attendant problems to that. But it's also just like um, unethical prima facie because you're giving yourself a privilege and holding yourself as being more important than other people. Yeah, I would agree. It's, uh, yeah, Instamine 100 billion, kept about 70 to 80% of the supply, I believe. Yeah. I've since sold some off. One of their founders, Jeb McCaleb, went and started Stellar, yeah. uh, as you mentioned. Uh, on to the next game for some of them. Uh, Ripple in particular, like I said, I'm not really worried about it. I think it's a very stupid and obviously stupid project for reasons you just laid out for us. Uh, but it is, uh, I think these ethical boundaries are important to set. And I would, I, I think now we wholeheartedly I, agree with the ethics of, of the synergy. And I think that's why, I think you're you're touching on a on a underlying sort of thing that drives my hatred not hatred i shouldn't say hatred but drives my disdain for like altcoin projects i think it is unethical to a certain extent um yeah that's my little yeah spiel. because uh one, one of the counter arguments is always someone saying well, well look the developers deserve to be compensated for the time that they put into you know developing the software um and i i would really push back on that strongly because in my mind like um, someone who creates something that's uh, like a good or service for the marketplace that pe other other people find valuable, um, and other people are willing to pay for, to pay for, like receives money. I I don't know that they deserved that money or not. Like I, there's no there's no straight line in my book between you did work, thus you deserve money. Or even you got paid, thus you deserved that money. Like, it's not clear to me that you, like, you received that money. I'll grant you that. I don't know uh, right off the bat if you deserved it or not. Like, that's a very different question. Yeah. No, exactly. And you have things like Zcash with like a 25% of their block reward for the first two years goes straight to their development fund. It's like, do you really need that? I mean, Bitcoin's gotten this far without a development fund. So that's yeah, and I almost feel like that's a that's a separate question in terms of uh, governance because it's like <laughs> all right. uh, the big G word. Yeah, the big G word. Um, oh, but the other thing I wanted to mention is that I don't think that a coin having unethical seniorage is a a, uh, a a crippling death knell for that coin. And I don't think that it's like the reason that coin is going to fail is because they have an unfair distribution or they are engaging in unethical money production. I don't think that at all. I think that like perhaps long term, some of the most successful coins will be ones that 
even its proponents admit was like deeply unfair, right? And um, so I, I don't think I don't see that as like a disqualifier. Uh, what I see it is is like me subjectively, like I I think it's unethical, and I I don't see any reason why I should participate. Like I already have a fantastic system called Bitcoin that I can participate in and have no ethical qualms about. Now other people have ethical qualms about Bitcoin, right? They think that, for example, the energy consumption is contributing to uh you know boiling the oceans we had uh we had a big uh mainstream media onslaught with the boiling the oceans fud today look the ocean the oceans are boiling and every time the price goes up we see more evaporation and uh <laughs> arguably that's a bad thing right like uh but so they they have environmental concerns or or they think that like bitcoin's distribution is is unfair and that uh any money creation at all that's not governed by a nation-state democratic process is unfair, uh, and they see this as like a giant multi-level marketing Ponzi scheme. And like, I think that's Preston Barron's uh, point of view on on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thus, you know, I I don't want to speak to his point of view uh, more because I, I don't know more about it, but. Um, someone could decide to not participate based on either their environmental or distribution concerns. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, and so like, I, I would analogize that to why I choose not to participate in like, even for short-term trading, uh, even like I, I already had a spiel about how I find short-term trading to be disreputable, but, um, (laughs) the, uh, I wouldn't participate in like buying XRP or buying, uh, uh, or uh, ec- Ethereum. I was going to say equity in Ethereum. But <laughs> <laughs> a little Freudian slip. Call it Ethereum <laughs> to not troll too much. And so, like Ethereum, they 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 had their uh, pre-sale that was <clears throat> an exclusive monopoly held by the Ethereum Foundation, and they took in hard currency called Bitcoin uh, in exchange for eighteen uh, million worth. Yeah, yeah. Which today is like peanuts. peanuts. It's peanuts. nothing. <laughs> Um, and so that's now it's like uh, people are raising 200 million, 1 billion, 3 billion. I don't, I don't, how much did the US do? Like, apparently 5 billion, but somebody uh, actually, I just got to dive into this article. I have it yeah. on my open tab. Somebody dove into the analytics of the crowd sale, which went on for a year, had many different tranches, and uh, they're pretty confident that there are funds being uh, laundered and recycled in, uh, through that crowd sale in particular. Yeah, I mean, why not? Right? Like, that. Someone made a lot of money, right? Yeah. And so, like, uh, EOS, same thing. Like, uh, I highly, you know, highly unethical seniorage. And the other thing, too, like, if someone uh, is involved with an ICO project, like, I don't want to be associated with them. It's not even that, like, I think that they're going to go to jail. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, it's just, it's like, look, there's lots of people I can hang out with that, are have never been associated with any ICOs at all. And on top of that, I don't have the time to see all the people who I respect and have not been associated with ICOs. So why would I ever associate with you or, you know, like go grab dinner with you? Like that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, not the type of people I want to uh, associate with either. Uh, try to keep the ICOers off, off the show. Yeah. A couple. Um, 
And it's funny. I started a uh, meetup here in New York called uh, NYC Bitcoiners. I'm sorry and I haven't made it to the first two yet. I've been... No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, there's another one. Next uh, weekend? Next week. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to make it. I'll well, that's that's where I have to step up. That's why I am the co-organizer. Yes. Uh, so I, I uh, tapped Marty on the shoulder to be the co-organizer so that when I'm uh, out of town... Now, I, I won't be out of town. I just uh, I need to see if I can line up the babysitting with grandparents. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great uh, great problem to have. Uh, and it's great that your in-laws are, are close to watch the baby. That's why like, we might move back to Philly just for that, that it, reason. It's alone. a blessing. It's definitely a blessing. Yeah. Um, not that I have any kids on the way yet. It's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. yeah we, can, we can have that offline. Do you recommend it? All right, Alex, I'm not gonna make you talk about your son. Yeah, um, no, I yeah, I, I I highly recommend uh, becoming a parent, uh, assuming that you find a partner who is uh, really you know f- fits you really well, and you see yourself staying with for the next fifty to sixty years. Is <laughs> to, well, you know, the other thing too is like maybe we're gonna live a lot longer than that. Uh, so Have maybe you- it's getting only more important that you find the right partner because. Do you want to be getting divorced when you're 170 years old? Probably not. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. We're going to have to make like McCall's and find a lover forever. Yeah. Lower your time preference way more than you would if you were going to live till 80. Pierre, you know they say the first person to ever live to be 200 has already been born. Wow. That's deep. That's yeah. Deep. And they're already walking around on this earth. So yeah, could be us. Could be and, you. And then it's going to be weird to like meet your great 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 grandchildren right like that's yeah. that's gonna be and and there's going to be like a hundred you know plus of them like optimistically if uh, everything works out well right um and that would be a uh, just uh, i can imagine like the the business of doing massive family parties is going to be thriving wow talk about a, a get it on the ground floor investment uh any ideas around that particular idea alone could be could be a good time to start that business uh i i got late, lots of great multi-century business ideas <laughs> so or dyson well, spheres involved well if we want to get cosmic right like um, <laughs> so something that i think everyone should be doing is is buying uh land that is about like two hours outside of major metropolitan areas mm-hmm. uh, i think that on a relative basis those plots of land are going to go up in value due to driverless cars. Uh, you'll have people commuting into work, and they'll be working while commuting. So then, like meetings will be from you know 11 a.m. till 4 p.m. and then they they would be uh, commuting back and working. I really like car. that. Yeah, I like that theory. Yeah. Um, oh, and then I the really other like thing too, the other ground floor investment to get into is autonomous RVs. So. Build us like you know a very high end multi million dollar RV that you can rent by the day, uh, and you can you know go across the country with your kids uh, on a an adventure where you can be working while you're driving too, or while you're not driving. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the future that's is nomadic lifestyles. I like that a lot. Uh, also, if you can get like access to options on black market organ transactions if autonomous vehicles do become a thing and a reality uh there's gonna be a big shortage of organ donations because uh, a lot of what drives those is car accidents that's true though i mean not to get too morbid but 
There will be situations where your driverless vehicle gets hijacked by a crypto locker type virus. <laughs> Except of instead of encrypting your hard drive, it will lock the doors and drive you to a underground hospital that will extract your organs while you're still alive. So I don't Whoa. think that like that's going away completely. Uh, it's just it's yeah, not to be too morbid because like hopefully maybe they'll they'll uh, maybe they'll ransom you. You know, they're like, all right, we're about to extract your left kidney. How or, much is it worth? <laughs> or you can pay us fifty satoshis. Ooh, that's a bargain. Well, at this, this is point, a, yes. no, it's not actually. It's yeah. very expensive. So I just doxed myself. You better not be a, a no coiner. <laughs> uh, no, that's sorry. That's a very dystopian vision. Uh, believe me, we're we're gonna have driverless vehicles that are uh, not getting hacked like that. We're gonna have uh, the best cybersecurity. <laughs> the best, the greatest. Uh, that was a funny little uh, tangent there. It is crazy to think about those thought experiments, though. Like if the Hyperloop or like autonomous yeah, vehicles so become like huge. I've been thinking about this. While like I would commute here. I would Manhattan. commute here from Philly. Like I want to move to Philly, but there's just too much going on in New York City. I what what I want to see is driverless electric cars going into Elon Musk tunnel system, and so in Manhattan, basically, what we would do is we would take all the streets and we would strip them and plant uh, a massive garden. And so every single area where there was a street before in Manhattan would have the equivalent of Central Park. And then all of the driverless cars would be driving underground in these massive tunnel system with elevators up to garages that, you know, and then like basically you would have uh, valet service without valets and it would be, you know, less expensive than the subway probably to uh, be transported on the system. That's my vision for the future of New York. Would there be roaming cattle at all in, in this new grassland? I don't know about roaming cattle because roaming cattle could trample small uh, do domesticated animals as well as human beings. So we wouldn't want that liability. But we could have like uh, maybe sheep or uh, maybe genetically modified miniature cattle. I like the sound of this. That have been like tamed, so they uh, they, they would be very uh, <laughs> just straight veal. Now, just the veal market. The only yeah. How would we stop people from hunting these down? Maybe if we uh, have enough of them coming off the uh, supply chain, then we could outnumber the number of poachers. This would be a this would be good uh, revelation if that turned out to be true. But as we're as we're finding out, it's nobody really wants to step up. You know, that's why the poachers come in, and then people have to pay like fifty thousand dollars to go hunt wild animals in in Africa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and actually, I I do think that uh, I so me personally, I will confess, I've never been hunting before, Neither and have I. it is like a lifelong dream to go hunting. Um, and I don't, I don't want to go to hunting where it's like, hey, uh, we put this um, feeder for deer and we're going to wait for them to come and we're going to sit in this blind and we're going to like shoot it at, you know, 20 yards away. <laughs> <laughs> that, that to me is like the least interesting form of hunting. You want to lay on a hill for hours just waiting yes. for something to Well, first happen, of all, be, be hiking by. for days. Yes. And then with a go tenna and nothing else. 
a GoTenna and a cell phone with if no that, service. If that, <laughs> you know, like also maybe like with a few buddies and and some beers. We should make this happen one day. I actually want to do this a lot too. Yeah, um, that 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 would be fantastic. Uh, so that's one approach. Is kind of going really in the backwoods uh, and and trying to find like the that one sheep that you're looking for. Uh, not packing any food, you're fasting the entire time, and you gotta you gotta find something to eat. Uh, so that appeals to me. Or the diametric opposite, which is having an assault rifle and be hanging out of a helicopter and shooting at, at wild <laughs> wild pigs. boars. Yes, this so, happens in Texas, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, it is like shooting fish in the barrel. It's also like a necessity because they're pests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're an helicopter with an assault rifle. Like, <laughs> it's pretty dope. Yeah. There's actually videos of Ted Nugent doing that if you if you want to look them up. Uh, I, I might have seen them already. That's my, <laughs> that maybe is where I got it from. Uh, the, that is like a crazy way to go hunting, though. Actually, it's a problem in South Carolina, too. I've got family down in South Carolina. I have farms, and uh, they actually just so happen to have a couple helicopters, too. And I have seen them hunting for wild boar in South Carolina as well. Uh, and they are pests. They eat your yeah. crops and dig holes all throughout your land now maybe like when when the federal government is strapped for cash due to running too high deficits as we described earlier uh, they'll have to sell some military assets and we could use a real like assault helicopter to to take on these wild boars with with missiles and what a gatling gun and whatnot don't we want to eat the meat though no no this is this is just for cleaning up I, you know, I, okay, okay. You have like coyotes that come and eat the meat and vultures. Yeah, it's true. It's not like you're you're uh, you're not nuking the place and making it uninhabitable. You're you're accelerating nature's process. Yeah, no, it is crazy how weird things like animals dropped into new landscapes can fuck up an ecosystem. Have you ever seen the infamous YouTube video, the wolves coming into Yellowstone, being like reintroduced to Yellowstone? They changed the physical yeah, I landscape. Think I have, yeah. Um, no, it is crazy. So that that's the other thing about the driverless RV. That way you can do not only every national park in the United States, but in Canada and in Mexico. And eventually what we'll have is a highway that goes uh, across, you know, Panama and into South America so that we'll be able to have uh, driverless RVs taking us throughout the uh, American hemisphere. That would be incredible. Imagine going from the Rockies to the... Um to patagonia that would be yeah. awesome i wonder if you could create a cruise ship that is meant for rvs and you like somehow strap them down mm-hmm. and they're Listening. integrated into the cruise ship like where your cabin would be mm-hmm. and it's like an aircraft carrier you know it's like <laughs> dropping off rvs yeah uh and it's just traveling around uh wherever uh people's whims are uh and you have uh Nice restaurants, of course, and whatnot. I want to pass on the cruise. I'm not a big cruise guy. I would hate to get stuck on a cruise. My parents are violently anti-cruise because basically they're sailors. Their background is sailing. They've always lived around the ocean. And so for them, cruising is getting onto a sailboat with, you know, your immediate family and uh, just sailing around the ocean. Mm -hmm. Like... Most normies would be appalled by the idea of... You, Having to hang out with your family for that long. Well, hanging out with your family for that long. Uh, being on a ship by yourself without any land in sight. 
for, you know, extended periods of time is like terrifying for a lot of people because it's like, yeah, you're in, you, maybe you have a satellite phone. You've lost your attachment to reality potentially. You don't know. You don't know until you see that land again. Yeah, you don't know. You know, um, you know who does this a lot? A good friend of ours, Bitcoin sign guy, big sailor as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, w- maybe we should do a Bitcoin sailing cruise. Not like a cruise ship, you know, but like a sailboat. That'd be done. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think Bitcoin sign guy can actually make that happen. So my, my parents are against uh, big motorized cruise boats with thousands of people because to them, it, you should be on a sailboat, a little sailboat. Yeah, I'm opposed uh, to them because I just don't want to get a viral disease. Yeah, there's there's that for sure. Uh, I've never been on one. I, I do find the idea appealing because I just I, I love the ocean and but I also like creature comforts, you know, like uh, creature comforts. Never heard that one before. You know, like a, a, a bed with a memory foam mattress. I guess you could put that on a sailboat. Why not? Yeah, you definitely could. You could build that in. You, could... I, you know, I think the the problem in my case would be persuading my wife that this is an okay idea. <laughs> Uh, she, she's she doesn't like getting on a sailboat on a lake much less the ocean on a lake yeah 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 you're gonna so, have trouble there but you know what i think that it would introduce a great opportunity just to hang out the guys and to uh talk bitcoin all day all day long so yeah just, just move our conversations from twitter into the ocean yeah yeah exactly in international waters <laughs> <laughs> not that we're doing anything at all that would require international waters but hypothetically speaking we could do yeah, we could do some high stakes gambling on the sea with Bitcoin. Can you use is it is it copacetic to use um Bitmex when you're in international waters, right? Because you can't use it when you're in the US, technically. Uh I think it might be good. Um Maybe you need like an address abroad, so just make sure you bring your Gotenna. Use uh use use Tor, use a yeah. VPN, you'll be good, you know. Uh just make sure you don't have a US IP address. Something that's going to be interesting that I think that people haven't really thought about enough yet is uh, with with Amazon, but really with any sort of physical delivery service, uh, thanks to quadcopter drone type things, they're going to be able to deliver packages at GPS coordinates rather than addresses. addresses. And so it'll be pretty trivial to be in international waters and... And, and and not just like packages, but like you're seeing these quadcopters that you can fit a human into. Are so, we creating a true seastead on the sea? Yeah, it's going to become pretty trivial to have a de facto seastead. Like it's not going to be like a, an oil rig platform type setup mm-hmm. right off the bat. But you could have like a few boats that are hooked up in the general same area and that are receiving shipments you know they're they're paying with the lightning network to uh receive something from from Amazon or whatever it could be food you know or or uh it could be a laptop or anything in between it could be full nodes anything you know yeah. uh now i love these these future tangents it's uh well, I, I come on your podcast to do future tangents. Let's not kid ourselves. Like the, me. The, the drones scare the shit out of me, though. Because have you seen, like, Skydio, the one that can follow you uh, as not, you're, like, running? That's not actually not what scares the shit out of me about drones. What? What's, what scares the shit out of me? <laughs> uh, I, I, I built my own drone from um, from parts. Okay. And uh, what scares the shit out of me about drones is I'm falling out of the sky and uh, giving you a, a very deep cut. Because those motors are extremely powerful and they will gash you because the 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 blades are sharp, and uh, the more powerful the drone, the, the bigger the gash. 
Uh, so I, I would be afraid of like, and and the hardware is very hard to do. Like uh, creating a, a reliable hardware product is way more difficult than creating a reliable software product mm-hmm. because uh, hardware today with like a drone is software plus hardware. So already you have all the problems associated with reliable software and then you're layering on top of that the problems of unreliable hardware, the environment that you're operating in, you know, like uh, the salty sea air of, uh, you know, your your boat delivery system. Uh, let's say the drone gets there and for whatever reason goes on the fritz and uh, crashes onto your boat while you're sun tanning. Uh, what a terrible first world problem <laughs> to be having, right? You're, is- there you are enjoying your beer. And, and this drone was bringing you more beer, and it crashes into you. Like, that's it, uh, it's a disaster. And it ruins your virility for the rest of your life. It, yeah. It, I actually... It's a buzzkill. Had a uh, former coworker of mine, uh, Handsome Hank, uh, at Barstool Sports. He actually lost the tip of his finger with a drone. He was uh, he was doing a drone shot and went to go catch it, and yeah. it cut off the tip of his finger. So it's I, a real I danger. That, I think the friendly drones are a bigger risk than enemy drones. Uh, <laughs> now... That said, uh, I have another uh, business idea if anyone listening is interested in uh, far-fetched business ideas. I'm listening and I'm interested. All right. So so malicious drones that are... So basically, you're out on your boat and you know... Amazon is telling you about the drone that they're sending you. So you know to expect it and you're not afraid of it and you're not going to deploy countermeasures. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say an unidentified drone enters your airspace... (laughs) And you do need to deploy countermeasures. I think that a good system that would have good value would be a platform that you can install. Uh, you can install any sort of a gun on, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the the ideal form of gun to install on your platform would be like a tactical shotgun. Uh, and basically, it would ha- be motorized and be using. Um, th- your radar essentially to identify the unwanted drone entering your airspace would target it and then blast it out of the sky uh, in an automated manner so that, you know, it's like four in the morning, this drone is coming to kill you or to uh, steal your Trezor hardware wallet. Uh, your your uh, automated defense system would blast it out of the sky. I like, I love the sound of that. And that seems like how the game theory is going to play out. If uh, these, these malicious drones are enabled, the use case is enabled. People Look, are going to have to build have, these security systems. Have you seen the videos of drones dropping bombs in like Afghanistan? Like, yeah. these are operated by terrorist groups who, uh, you know, are completely outside of the law, and they're dropping legit bombs onto a- American and Afghan and Iraqi bases. Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing that happen. With like, okay, today, you know. The random nut job is using an assault rifle as his most powerful weapon to kill innocent civilians. I don't want to give anyone ideas, but I, I could see in the future that uh, being drones, and then it's like we got to have ways of uh, of stopping them effectively. Um, and so I hope that someone takes up my automated shotgun sentry gun uh, seriously and uh, does a demo for me. I'd be I. I I'll, I'll fly the drone and you shoot it out of the sky. That'd be fun. <laughs> Actually, you know, this would be a good... Um, sorry, this is another idea. I love Pierre's ideas. Yeah, we're, so... We're saying this in jest, but this legit scares the shit out of me. 
Well, yeah, no, it, it does as well. But I, I think I think that, frankly, I I think we've got enough like good people who are not trying to bomb us <laughs> that, that we'll be okay. Like, and you know, it's the same thing with when you're driving your car. Like, your car is a very dangerous weapon. We have seen people use cars as weapons to kill other people. Uh, we've deployed countermeasures with barriers that you know block cars. But when you're driving on the streets, like you have oncoming traffic sometimes at like 60, 70 miles per hour on a back road that uh, they could swerve into your lane stupidly, drunkenly, deliberately, uh, and kill you. So like we're we're constantly trusting our fellow human to do the right thing in that regard. That's a very good point. Uh, cars are two ton weapons that yeah. that. Uh, they do call That's some why I, I'm pretty optimistic. Like I, th- I think like 99.99% of humans are, uh, they're in the game to improve their lot in life, mm-hmm. not to suicide, kill themselves into you or to like for the fun of it, harm you or injure you. Like I, I think most people are, are just responding to incentives to improve their life. I would agree. I like that. You just uh, made me less scared than I was 45 seconds ago. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I usually charge for this kind of therapy, this cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) uh, I'll I'll give you a free session. Um, We'll have to open up a lightning. I'm I'm trying to reduce your anxiety. (laughs) No, okay. Here's my other business idea, though. Uh, Maybe it'll increase your anxiety. (laughs) Um, So so today, like, uh, we were talking about hunting Mm -hmm. and hunting wild animals. Now, there's a certain subsect of our uh, of the Bitcoin cult that is vegan. Yes, there is. And it would be a bummer if like we're like, oh, guys, we're going hunting. Sorry, Matt Corral, you can't come because you're a vegan, right? Like that would that that'd be a bummer because we want to like Matt's a want to be all inclusive, interesting guy, and he's he's funny and smart, and yeah, we want to have him along for the ride. So we don't go hunt animals. We go hunt drones. <laughs> I like this. Right? All right. So you got like multiple scenarios. I think the, uh, the one, one interesting one would be like essentially you're, you're trying to recreate a first person shooter except that it's drones popping out of nowhere and you got to shoot them down with your shotgun or with your assault rifle or whatever it may be. Um, you know, whether you're in the back of a Humvee being driven around with a 50 caliber machine gun and you're shooting down drones or you're you're flying in a helicopter and drones are coming at you like and it's all pre-programmed you know like westworld style uh but and eventually it will be westworld where like you think you're shooting it's right i don't know if people want to do that's that. actually a tangent i want to go on yeah. I, th- I think a lot of people are worried about like uh virtual reality and us getting stuck in virtual reality i think it's going to be much more like westworld where yeah it's physical. and and i think it's awesome like i actually i don't like the idea of wearing a virtual reality headset mm-hmm. and and doing stuff Neither like that in virtual reality. I love the idea of doing it in the real world where it, it is simulated by robotics rather than by... That's another question I have, though. Like, f- fucking Boston Dynamics. Why are they making all these robots in, like, human and so, animal form? Like, shouldn't robots have more ergonomic uh, forms? Yeah. I, and I, th- it's been my general frustration also, like, even with, like, Roombas. Like, mm-hmm. why, has Roomba, why is Roomba the same it was, like, years ago, right? To me, Roomba should have branched out by now to where basically it's like robot as a service and it comes to your house and you pay like $5 a month and it vacuums your house. And then also my, my, uh, here's another business idea. Okay. Automated trash robots that go out into the streets and pick up all the trash in New York city. Like, Oh my God. The sanitation department it would, be would be replaced. so much better. Yeah. 
by an army of robots that go out at 4 a.m. And when you wake up and go out in the street, it is literally spotless. You know, like there's not a piece of stuck gum to the pavement. It's this might been, be. It's all been power washed. It's all been uh, cleaned up. I mean, that's the way it is in Europe. If you go, like, you're walking around streets of Spain, Sevilla, at, like 4 a.m. It's yeah. like all. I mean, it's all human driven, but they're cleaning yeah, at like 4 a.m. This should be. Uh, this should be done argue, in New York City. You, you can get it to a you know a, a very deep cleaning, uh, detailed level uh, by automating it at a very reasonable cost. Uh, and then you would have this in every city. And I, I think that's like the future of cities is that they're going to be very nice places to be. Uh, do we have the mental fortitude to get us to that scenario? I don't know if we do. I don't know. People are people are all focused on stupid shit. So. Yeah. So uh, I was actually what I wanted to say is that everyone's focused on virtual reality. What they should be focused on is computer vision and using machine learning algorithms so that computers can see into the real world rather than us seeing into the computer world. I really like that framing. Yeah. What what uh what do you think like what's the difference between the two and what are the perceived benefits of choosing one well, over the other? It's do we want to escape to a fake reality online or do we want to improve our real reality by using uh, robotics and software and electricity and we have these like building blocks uh, and I think that like we're underutilizing them so now I say that and yet like we're at the cutting edge with autonomous vehicles using computer vision in order to navigate the streets and so once we have that building block done and that's mature then you can have things like automated trash pickup in the streets right because you've you've already solved the moving people around which is arguably like the lowest hanging fruit but also like the most economically beneficial fruit because now you've dramatically reduced the cost of transportation for individuals yeah no it's uh, it sounds like a very natural progression let's hope it comes to fruition especially the goddamn trash in new york city it's so bad it's disgusting it stinks the city literally stinks especially in the summer that's why i go to south jersey i have to get away from the smell it does and you can even take it to another level right of like why not have robots repairing the streets? Why why not have robots re- repairing the... Well, Pierre, we need dominoes to repair the streets for us now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sidewalks, uh, subway infrastructure, like all of this stuff could be dramatically uh, upgraded on a continuous basis if all of these systems were essentially digitized and automated uh, using a combination of robotics and software. Yeah. What's... Do you think we'll ever get there? Do you think uh, we're getting there? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get there for sure. Um, I think that because we're already getting there with driverless cars. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're currently doing like a pilot project in like Tucson, Arizona, or something where it's like um, Uber, except it's driverless, right? Uh, so it's it's maturing. We'll get there. When I don't know. It's kind of like asking like, hey, when's Bitcoin going to take over? Like. Uh, sooner than you expect and later than you expect. <laughs> that's how, I think that's the problem with like exponential curves. It's like, you know, they're it's hard to gauge. Hard to like estimate where you are. In yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, driving Bitcoin adoption and making Bitcoin ubiquitous, uh, to get back on Bitcoin topic, I think what you're building with the lightning plugin on Excel is a good step in making Bitcoin more ubiquitous. Let's jump into it. What are you building? Yeah, it seems fascinating. So I'm a I'm an I'm an ignorant 
I'm ignorant when it comes to Lightning Network. You said you were pretty ignorant uh, recently as well. Yeah. But I've been able to build this. For sure. Um, So just to put it into context, like, to me, the the Bitcoin network itself, and it, it's complicated because we use the word Bitcoin to refer to so many different things. Yeah. Uh, so we have like the Bitcoin peer-to-peer network. We have Bitcoin, the monetary unit. We have the Bitcoin consensus rules. Uh, we have uh, Bitcoin light clients and Bitcoin full nodes. Uh, we have Bitcoin miners. Uh, we have... Um, like the Bitcoin system, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll try to be more specific than just saying Bitcoin. But uh, if I do, I, I hope people will deduce what what part of Bitcoin I'm talking about. Um, I wish we had different words for all of these different things like that. Like Satoshi should not have called or I don't know. I don't know that Satoshi even started calling the unit Bitcoin, Bitcoin. himself. I'd like to look at the. How did it get the BTC ticker? I think that. I don't know, but I think the Satoshi only in the source code refers to them as coins. Uh, I'm not positive. So, you would know more than me with, yeah, with the no, complete I, Satoshi on yeah, your beautiful website. Like, the variables are called like max coins. Yeah, yeah. And yes, I actually do believe that as well. I, I'd have to I'd have to go digging around in GitHub to really confirm it, but definitely coins is a cof- often used term for the UTXO set, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and or the unit of what an output uh, has, um, and anyway, uh, so we have this monetary system of Bitcoin that is like the money, and then we have the final settlement layer that's like on-chain Bitcoin, and that is globally broadcasted, globally verified by all of the nodes on the network. Uh, and they make sure that the, all those blocks and transactions are valid, and they make sure that the proof of work that miners are providing uh, in order to um, you know, provide transaction ordering uh, is valid. Uh, and they, they, they define what, what Bitcoin is like as, as a uh, network of nodes. Um, you know, obviously, I, I wrote that like governance, uh, article and we can get into all the nuances of that but i just want to set that aside to say on top of this system go ahead i was gonna say i do want to touch on that article okay yeah if, after this okay uh so on, on top of the bitcoin system we have a new system and uh this system is actually deeply anchored in the bitcoin system and i think that's like a misconception that people have about lightning is that they 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 like separate it too much from Bitcoin because it has a different name, but ultimately like uh, Lightning transactions are anchored in real Bitcoin transactions that are recorded on the Bitcoin blockchain, and the Lightning network relies on features of the underlying Bitcoin, or sorry, the Lightning network uh, relies on Bitcoin features like uh, uh, check sequence verify. Um, and like CLTV and like locking up coins for a period of time uh, from using the uh, proof of work timestamping slash proof of publication system that Bitcoin provides um, and using the same unit of value as well of Satoshi's of Bitcoins of coins as Satoshi would call it. Um, so uh, 
this layer two is fundamentally different from layer one because on layer one, on-chain Bitcoin, you pay per piece of data that you use per byte. Mm -hmm. And that means that like a payment of $20 worth of Bitcoin might take up as much, probably like all else equal, would take up as much space on the blockchain as a payment of $200 million. Mm -hmm. And so they would pay the same transaction fee. So that's that's how Lightning works. Or sorry, <laughs> that's how Bitcoin on-chain works. Um, and then, uh, and the reason that is, is because the, the block size limit is limited. Mm -hmm. Or the, the block, sorry, let me be very precise. The block weight limit mm -hmm. exists. Yes. Um, and it's uh, 4 million weight units. In the past, I've said 8 million. But th that was just because I was brainwashed by Jeff Garzik to believe that Segway2x happened. <laughs> <laughs> off by one. Yeah. So, so close. I was off by four million. Uh, the weight limit th is uh, four million units. Anyways, uh, practically speaking, that's like a two megabyte block uh, every 10 minutes. And so we have to, uh, or th the miner is essentially charged by how much a transaction is uh, mm -hmm. going to pay. What does Satoshi say? It would be like 80 bytes for for a block with no transactions or something like that at a base layer oh yeah i'm not sure that's an interesting question if yeah. you have an empty block how big is it it was like 80 bytes i don't know why I yeah that up, yeah but. no that's that that's, that's plausible yeah it's it's a very it's a very compact system yeah um and it's a it's a bitcoin's a very highly optimized system i think that people don't give it enough credit in that regard yeah, i think people totally totally misconstrue bitcoin as an inefficient system when it's very efficient in in ways yeah. that people don't really realize yeah and uh th they think it's inefficient because they're just like looking at the proof of work part but yeah. like also like that's very efficient as well um anyway uh so uh where 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 was i i, f I forget now i rudely interrupted oh, so you you pay per uh, data on mm -hmm. the on-chain network yeah. on the bitcoin or on the lightning network you actually pay by the amount of value that you're transferring because as you consume, the resource you're consuming on the Lightning Network is uh, channel capacity mm -hmm. uh, due to the fact that you're routing payments through other people who are uh, opening and closing channels uh, to enable this routing. And so by consuming channel capacity, uh, you are, it's like, uh, it's like consuming liquidity. So you're paying by the amount of value that you're transferring. Mm -hmm. So at some point, like there, there's an equilibrium point between, all right, I'm sending $5 worth of Bitcoins, so I'm going to use Lightning, or I'm sending $200 million worth of Bitcoin, so I'm going to use on-chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and between those two extremes, there's a midpoint that like might be very close to $5 or not. I, I'd have to do the math today. And that's that, that midpoint is... Or that that like median point sort of fluctuates throughout time. Yeah, and it's it's going to evolve as as usage of on chain and of uh, lightning evolves. Um, but basically, that's the trade off between the two systems: is that one you're paying by the amount of value, uh, which is lightning, and on on chain Bitcoin you're paying by uh, the amount of data. Um, and now obviously, like to open a channel, you have to do on chain. Mm -hmm. So like, there's this very interesting like. Uh, arbitrage equation and equilibrium equation between all of these different uh, trade-offs. Yeah, yeah, these trade-offs. Uh, and I think that these two systems, these two layers are going to turn out to be very complementary in that regard. 
I really like that. Yeah. Figure out an arbing strategy for when people are going to choose When does on-chain? it make more sense to send on-chain versus yeah. off-chain? Uh, and so the, the, this is something that like sophisticated users of the Bitcoin network are, are going to want to familiarize themselves with. Mm-hmm. And these are the same people who are like, uh, you know, quick to adopt SegWit and who understand the importance of batching. And um, so they're they're looking for ways to optimize because, uh, frankly, like we're, we're with the next bull market. I think that we're going to forever have fee pressure and we're forever going to have a mempool that has a backlog and fees today are a nickel in us dollars, but, or, and frankly, like it can be even less. Uh, I've seen things go through that are a penny in us dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but blocks are almost full. So you're really like, uh, consuming the last marginal amount of, uh, low cost capacity on the Bitcoin network and I think that with the next bull market, like blocks are always going to be full and we're always going to have a mempool backlog. And that's just going to fundamentally change people's mindset. And uh, it's going to incentivize usage of lightning. Although, like, I would rather people be incentivized to use lightning for good reasons rather than that. The fees are too high. Too high. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think this, we'll have both. We'll have both. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's what I'm most interested to see is uh, the UX of lightning adoption and how easy it is for people to to make those trade-offs. Maybe uh, they won't be made if the the barrier to entry to the lightning network for your typical user is too high from a technical perspective. Yeah, for sure. So uh, where we are at today is still very early, I think, uh, in terms of the infrastructure that's being built on lightning. So the the protocol layer of Lightning. So we got to think. This is actually this is very like technical, but you have like the Bitcoin peer to peer network protocol, mm-hmm. and then you have the Lightning peer to peer network. So you, if you want to be on Lightning network today, generally you run a Bitcoin node that is on the Bitcoin peer to peer network, and that node is feeding data to your Lightning node, and your lightning node is on the lightning peer-to-peer network. And so it is receiving information from both your Bitcoin node and from other lightning nodes on the lightning network. And basically, you know, everyone's using the Bitcoin peer-to-peer network as the source of final settlement and the way that you open channels in the lightning network. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, go. Oh, so uh, the... That that layer is reaching a certain level of maturity, right? So uh, the Lightning Network went on mainnet uh, earlier this year, and yes, it's still possible to lose funds if you're a little reckless on on mainnet with mm-hmm. Lightning, uh, but it has significantly solidified, and now really it's about creating tools, for example, for automatically opening and closing channels. Uh, and th- so that you are maximizing the chance of your payment being routed correctly through the Lightning Network. Uh, and that's actually one of the disadvantages of Lightning is that if you want to send $5 from Pierre to Marty, there has to be either a channel that is directly connecting our, our two nodes mm-hmm. or a series of channels that are that have enough capacity to route our payment from me to you. And so... 
that, that that I think requires like a certain level of maturity on the network level of participants who are online 24-7, routing payments, uh, opening and closing channels in a curated manner so that they're not unnecessarily tying up capital in unused channels. Mm-hmm. And also they're not uh, missing opportunities to route payments because they didn't have a channel open. So like that aspect of it, that's where we're at is that level of maturing. Uh, and then once it's really no issue where you open up a lightning node and uh, you're on your iOS device and you, you don't even know the channels exist because they are being opened and closed in the background for you to maximize the uh, probability of successfully routing a payment. And frankly, like you could reach like 99.99% of payments getting routed through. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that we'll, we'll uh, have to settle for having a system that is unreliable. Like I think that the routing lightning payments is going to become very reliable uh, as the system evolves, even though it's, it's unreliable today if uh, you're not manually opening and closing the right channels. Yeah. That's the thing today. You have to be very selective with who, yeah. who you connect with. And yeah. so does this UX going to get better? Like where you spin up a node and it'll just automatically, there'll be like a drop down bar. Like, Hey, are you okay with connecting with these nodes? If yes, click so, and then yeah, we'll there's connect different, you. Um, ideally you would be agnostic as to whether you're okay with <laughs> connecting to a node or not. Like yeah. it's just, um, so this feature in LND is called autopilot mm-hmm. and basically like they created like the minimum viable product for this. So it's like, it's, it's it's been surprising to me that it has worked for me to route payments. Mm-hmm. Not a hundred percent of the time, but um, well enough to where I actually was not manually managing uh, channels. Um, but uh, eventually it'll be fine tuned, whether it's like with machine learning or just like intelligent heuristics uh, to uh, route much more reliably. And then as, as the end user who's using like a mobile wallet, what the, what you'll want to pay attention to is like if i want to cash out and transfer my coins to my cold storage um that will require me to close channels mm-hmm. and you want to close them in an orderly manner uh because if you don't then you're going to have to wait longer so the metric that you're going to want to focus on as an end user who is who is desiring to cash out and to transfer your and like I, I kind of see it as like that's a use case of like of a merchant who's receiving a lot of lighting payments and then wants to like pay the bills. Yeah, pay the bills, like send bitcoins to an exchange or something. Yeah, and so they want to like close channels. Um, there, you want to be connected to routing nodes that are online so that they can cooperatively ch- close a channel so that uh, you know it's basically as fast as it would be sending a transfer on Bitcoin. Otherwise, your coins can be locked up to, to like weeks at a time. Uh, because if and in the case of an uncooperative close where basically you're unilaterally closing the channel um, and that's that's where like as an end user it would be frustrating if you had funds that were locked up because you got into an uncooperative close on a channel yeah and figuring out the UX around that like hopefully um, routing nodes are on 24 7 and it's always cooperative close for end users and so they don't really see a problem there, but it's what's not the incentive for somebody not to cooperate other than pure maliciousness? Uh, there's no incentive for it. Other, well, it's like, uh, 
you know, your, your, your node crashed and then it was offline for a few days because like you didn't get around to turning it back on. Like, yeah, that's, that's not a good scenario. So like, ideally you would have routing nodes that are run as routing nodes because they are a profitably, uh, you know, rewarding their, their operator. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. But these are like interesting hurdles that we have to overcome, but it's been amazingly incredible to me to see the, the pace of growth that has happened. Like lightning qual and I dropped a podcast last Tuesday uh, we talked about building proof of concepts of using Lightning Network to reward players in video games. Might not be the best use case, but somebody built a proof of concept within 24 hours. I, I think it's a great use case, and yeah. we're, you know, I think that there's there's kind of uh, two areas. Do you mind if we pause for a second? No, go for it. Albano. Okay. We're gonna pause here for a minute, and we were talking about. Lightning Koala's app. We were talking about Lightning Koala. Yeah. Uh, not like Koala Lightning, the game concept in particular. Right. Uh, so I think that there's going to be like applications that are uniquely enabled by Lightning. And not not uniquely enabled. Okay, so yes, th- that's going to be a category. And I would argue that like Satoshi's Place isn't really in that category in the sense that hypothetically you could have had people paying with a credit card. Yes. Um, but th- I think that there are going to be applications where it's like, no, this is actually only possible on the lightning network. And we haven't, I haven't seen that yet. I think it's possible and it's just due to a lack of imagination or I haven't heard about it yet or something. It hasn't been broadcasted, but, um, something that's like quote unquote decentralized in the sense that it's uh it's it's lightning native mm-hmm. it's not like a website you go to and pay for something with lightning um but that aside like th- i i don't think that's that's like gonna drive lightning adoption uh, no uh, but it's an interesting thing to think about um then there are applications that are online goods and services where yeah you you now you don't need to have like some crazy banking relationship or stripe or uh, you know, some kind of like credit card stuff. It's like maybe you're selling digital assets because you are a video game designer, uh, you know, in, a, in, in Egypt and you want to get hard currency um, and getting paid in lightning payments is better than Bitcoin for all, you know, the reasons that lightning is better than Bitcoin. Um, so that's one category. And then like the final one is just like buying your coffee at Starbucks. Like, that's yeah there there's no it makes I, sense huh it makes sense to use lightning over the bitcoin protocol for that yeah no know. but like i just mean that the advantage with the scenario where people are online and it's permissionless is that they weren't able to use visa you know like yeah but for coffee payments it's like all right now now it's really like let's dig deep into why lightning is a good use case here and i actually think that it is a good use case for people who uh, essentially got rich off of Bitcoin and now are spending Bitcoin day to day because uh, it's more convenient than having to go on an exchange and sell it for fiat and then you pay your credit card bill. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's actually an interesting... Yeah. No, but that's like a very small demographic and I, I wish I was in that demographic. But well, how, do you think, how do you think Lightning plays into Bitcoin's monetization path? Because right, we're probably between collectible and store of value right now if we follow the Zabian. I, I, I reject that path. Do you? 
I, I find it, yeah, it completely objectionable, even though I'm not like, I, I'm not on Twitter like trolling people like Nick Zavo or um, Vijay about it because I, I love them to death and it's not, it's not even something I like, I want to like really argue about because I don't think it's important at all in the grand scheme of things. You think it's all encompassing at once? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think that a uh, an asset acquires moneyness as a whole, like, so store of value, unit of account, and medium of exchange are all evolving in lockstep simultaneously. And uh, to single one out in particular is either an abuse of language, like it's like we're, we're taking the word store of value in a meaning that I don't think is really true to the monetary economics of it. And the other thing too is that like, you can't surgically separate one property of money from the other properties. I think that like those three properties are like, you know, people touching the elephant, uh, different people watching, touching the elephant and mm-hmm. saying it's a different animal. Yeah. It's like a proverb or some stupid thing. But basically like, yeah, we're, we're talking about a, a monetary good. An all-encompassing, yeah. Yeah. So for, uh, let me be more clear about that. For example, um, it's like, oh, well... Nobody is using Bitcoins as a unit of account today because it's not um, stable in value. And so, mm-hmm. like, economic calculation, if you're running a lemonade stand, is kind of absurd, you know, because you bought your lemonade for some amount of Bitcoins and then you're selling it for a much fewer number of Bitcoins because the value of Bitcoins has gone up and thus you're running a loss, even though it's like, wait, like, you're this is like a, a strange situation that mm-hmm. you're running a loss because you invested in lemonade instead of holding your Bitcoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I think the fallacy there is that like, okay, but you got to look at wh- how do people who are into Bitcoin think about their unit of account. And so you'll have Bitcoiners who think about, Oh, well is trading altcoins profitable in terms of Bitcoins. And you'll have Bitcoiners who are like, oh, is mining Bitcoins profitable in terms of Bitcoins? Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, is that you have Bitcoiners thinking about like, oh, well, is investing in the stock market more profitable than investing in Bitcoins? Like once Bitcoin becomes your uh, benchmark, your standard of value, it really is your... It's all encompassing. It's your unit of account. Like that's... Because that's what a unit of account is. It's your benchmark. Uh, and so in that regard, I think that there are people who increasingly, you know, think that Bitcoin is going to outperform on a risk adjusted basis like any other asset. And they want it to be. And not only that, but they anticipate that in the future it will be their day to day unit of account when they're like buying groceries. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that you can have the discounted present value of their future unit of account usage um, count towards being a unit of account. Uh, and, and same thing with uh, medium of exchange and uh, store of value. Yeah. Like you can say like, all right, Bitcoin's not a store of value day to day because like the price might drop or month to month, the price is going to drop. But over five years, I consider it to be a store of value. So there's like different gradations of these. Yeah. No, I like that. And I think I agree mostly with you. And, I'm, and I'm, honestly, I've read about it 
last week in the newsletter, I'm a big proponent of the uh, VJ uh, Nick Zabo uh, collectible store value medium of exchange uh, unit of account. And I think it's, I mean, and I don't think we're, we disagree on much. Maybe it's just like it's more applicable for one of the four definitions no, at like, certain points of time. This, and it's funny because like this is, this is the sort of argument that, for example, like, when when Safety Dean and I are it's like two AM in, in Dallas and we're like <laughs> seven drinks in and yes. a steak in and we're talking about like hyper Bitcoinization and stuff and it's like it's funny because people are like, Oh, you know, like Bitcoin's a cult, like they drink the Kool Aid, they've got their hodl mantra. But if if you go hang out with like with Bitcoin maximalists, quote unquote, uh, you know, hardcore Bitcoiners and like you listen in on the conversation, you're like, wow, these guys actually like disagree with like what to an outsider would be like quibbling about details over like, you know, is, is Bitcoin going to completely wipe out all fiat currencies or only most fiat currencies? You know? <laughs> like that's the debate going on. And there's strong schools yeah, of thought like, for each. Uh, is, is Bitcoin going to take over all monetary roles at the same time or one at a time is like <laughs> the extent of the debate. It's like, so when people are like, oh, Bitcoin's an echo chamber and you guys are just like repeating the same shit to each other over and over. I'm like, I, you're not part of the same conversations I'm a part of because there's no echoing going on in the Bitcoin chamber. There's a lot of back and forth over, you know, what arguably are like minutia, but I think it's like interesting subject matter. Yeah, we got people betting stakes on, on podcast about where the price is going to be in January. A lot of diverging thoughts on the, mm-hmm. the future uh, adoption rate of Bitcoin and price increase. Uh, yeah. And like there's very bullish Bitcoin or excuse me, very bearish Bitcoin bulls right now. And a lot of people mm-hmm. that vehemently disagree with them. Um, yes, yeah, so there is a diversity of school of thought within Bitcoin. We're not uh, the crazy, as crazy cultists, uh, as bad. As crazy. Yeah. We're I mean, not as we, crazy as people think. The fact that we're betting stakes, right? Like indicates <laughs> that, there's some kind of dietary issue going on and thus indicative of a cult or at least a religion. Should I spill the beans that, that you're staying over for chicken tonight? Uh, well, yes. I mean, I don't know about spilling the beans, but the chicken's be- fine. The beans have been spilled. Yeah. The proverbial beans. I don't think there'll be any actual beans with the chicken. Yeah. I mean, the only problem with chicken is that it's a little lean. Yeah. I like the way... Uh, the head of Michigan University of Michigan football coach uh, J- Jim Harbaugh or John John Jim Harbaugh yeah Jim Harbaugh uh, called the chicken a scared bird. It's not really <laughs> good pre- protein. You shouldn't be eating it. That's funny. Um, I, I was uh, Adam Carolla on his podcast. He was talking about how he was at a steakhouse and someone ordered a chicken breast, and he was like, "I, I don't trust the guy who orders chicken breast." <laughs> at a steakhouse. Neither do I. Neither do I. Or salmon at a steakhouse. Or salmon. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't trust it. You know, it's okay to order filet mignon, like, uh, or something, you know, a lean piece of meat like that. But the chicken. To get into the scared bird territory uh, and the 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 scared fish territory as yeah. well, it's uh, questionable at a steakhouse. Uh, speaking of scared birds, we got to put that bird in the oven soon. Let's talk about your Excel plugin. We haven't even got to it yet. What oh, were you man, building yeah. last week, man? Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, I was talking about the Lightning Network before we went on a series of wild tangents. Um, but yeah, so 
If, if, you know, I was talking about how the Lightning Network is basically... Uh, Excuse me, I have to interject right now. I just got a text message from my wife. We're getting steak now, not chicken. Wow. Uh, big big upgrade. This is quite an honor. <laughs> I shamed your wife into ordering... She heard overheard our conversation. <laughs> Marty's apartment is tapped by his wife. It definitely is. Yeah. Hey, honey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, like, I think uh, we can talk about surveillance society, but I think that we're going to see more and more cameras around. Um, oh, yeah. Let's let's stick on the Excel plug. What did yeah, you build? Yeah, let's yeah. stick on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about we'll talk about the cameras over steak. Yeah. Uh, but basically, the uh, idea is that if the network, the lightning network protocol is maturing and it's reaching some level of stability where people are using it on mainnet, uh, there should be a, a client that, so right now we have clients that either it's the command line interface and you're uh, typing in things, which has its strengths, but people, especially quote unquote, non-engineer, non-technical people um, are kind of uh, not comfortable in. You don't have to quote quote us on that. You just call us out for what we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I because like, I, I, I don't like to frame it in the negative, right? I'd mm-hmm. rather frame it in the positive of like business users or uh, NPCs. <laughs> Pierre, you're going to get us kicked off iTunes. I know, sorry. I was literally talking about video game NPCs, all right? We're talking about yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, lightning yeah. and video games. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, so they, they're not comfortable in the command line. Uh, they're being offered wallets that abstract away all the complexity and that are like mobile wallets where you don't even know that you're using Lightning. Uh, I wanted to have something in between where basically it exposes all of the internals of Lightning and of the Lightning network uh, while also not being command line. It's a graphical user interface and doing it in an environment that is familiar to a lot of business people, a lot of finance and accounting folks especially but frankly like across the business world whether it's in marketing or sales or whatever like people are used to using spreadsheet software and microsoft excel in particular and so i created a microsoft excel plugin that comes bundled with a lnd node inside of it Uh, so if an lnd node is not detected or you don't configure it to connect to a a pre-existing lnd node it'll spin one up for you uh and is it doing this in like aws or something or no no, no locally locally and okay. basically the same way that it would spin up a node if you're running uh, a mobile wallet okay uh and lightning is meant to have a node on the wallet and so it's not like bitcoin where you have to have like a light wallet or some kind of a custodial wallet a mm-hmm. web wallet um it really uh the you know they've made a point of making it so that uh, basically, you open a private channel or a number of private channels, and so you're not a routing node, and you can be offline for hours at a time, days at a time even, uh, and not run a ris- risk of loss of funds. Um, so, th- yeah, this is like an embedded node, or you can connect to like, maybe you have a node, a, f- uh, a, a persistent node that's on your BTC pay server because you are running a merchant website that accepts Bitcoin, and then you can connect to it from Microsoft Excel and see all the payments you've received and also make outbound payments or sweep the funds into the main chain or sweep the funds to an exchange to sell for dollars. 
and so th- th- this lightning plugin is for people who are like wh- what I call lightning power users. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. <laughs> I, I spent some time finding that pun. <laughs> but no, it is. It's so how? So let's describe a power user. What is a lightning power user, and what benefits can they be getting out of the plugin you're making now? Yeah, I mean, so, you just described the benefits, but how would yeah, they use it? Uh, on on one end of the spectrum, you have someone who uh, saw you know Satoshi's place and thought it was cool, and he too wanted to draw something that is not male genitals, you know, like something cool. Uh, and they they don't have a lightning wallet necessarily. Um, they work in, you know, in finance and marketing and some kind of business function where they use Excel all day and they have windows running and they don't want to go through the trouble of like creating a Bitcoin node to connect an LND node to over the command line, uh, in order to run, you know, some kind of either command line, uh, wallet software or a web interface or something like that. Um, and, uh, they 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 want to be on the desktop. They're not on mobile because it's hard to draw on Satoshi Place on mobile. Yeah. Uh, and so this is an easy way for them to 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 run a, a Lightning node and to have an interface into their Lightning node. Uh, so then they can copy paste in a payment request from Satoshi's Place and you know send Satoshi's to to, to uh, create the drawing. Uh, so that's kind of like the most boring user of this would use it as any other lightning wallet. Uh, now someone who has been reading mastering Bitcoin by Adrian Antonopoulos, who's been listening to Marty Bent's podcast, the node podcast to, uh, all, all the great content producers out there. Um, and they've been following us on Twitter and they're like, they're, they're into Bitcoin, but they don't really know how Lightning works, but they want to know how Lightning works. Mm-hmm. They want to see the nitty-gritty details of Lightning. They don't want to see the consumer-friendly, abstracted-away wallet. They're actually they're curious about, like, they, they want to be one of the first adopters, and they maybe they want to, like, think about ways that they would uh, use Lightning in a new way. Um, and so that's that's kind of like another type of user. And then you have users who... They've got an idea for a lightning application that they want to build and like light Excel might be a good way for them to try to like experiment and prototype different things. Uh, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's like Excel just from like being in finance is one of the most powerful tools and to, to have Bitcoin via the lightning network sort of embedded in that tool is incredible just from like concept, just from a, uh, getting Bitcoin to the masses like uh so that's what i mean you already described why you came up with the idea like how how big of an impact do you think this could have i don't want to say for lightning adoption but just for for people trying to get more involved for lightning adoption as well because like this is the kind of person that you know let's say the etf gets approved like they might just own the bitcoin etf but they they want to actually get their hands on uh something that's decentralized and being hyped up. Um, and this would provide an outlet for them. And I think that like part of the problem for business users is that they see Bitcoin get hyped up and the only way to get involved seems to be to become a developer of some kind. Uh, you know, it's like then they get onto the blockchain, not Bitcoin bandwagon 
because they're like, oh, wait, this is a way I can contribute by like writing, you know, stupid white papers or creating PowerPoint <laughs> presentations about putting health records on the blockchain. And so if they had an outlet that was like an Excel plugin where they can uh, muck around and like get absorbed by the technological fascination of something like Bitcoin and the blockchain, uh, then maybe maybe it reduces the amount of like um, weird blockchain stuff people get obsessed with. We can only hope. We can uh, only hope. That's that's actually anyway. That that was like a big tangent because I actually don't think that's like the most valuable aspect of this. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of people who have been following Bitcoin and who may bought Bitcoins on Coinbase and they feel like they missed out on the beginning of Bitcoin and they feel like this is the beginning of another chapter in Bitcoin and they want to like get involved. And um, that's a good hook. Yeah. The difficulty of getting involved with Lightning is that like it's like, all right, I, you know, again, I'm not a developer. Um, and the other thing too, is like, we don't know what people are going to come up with and there's, yeah, it's still very early days in lightning. So I see this as a way of like, I'm giving you a tool. That's a, a um, a wagon that's going to let you go West. <laughs> I like and, that. And you know, it's, it's like playing Oregon trail. That I'm is- setting you up. And it's going to be a fun adventure. And I don't know what's going to come. I don't know if you're going to die of cholera along the way or you're going to drown as we try to ford a river. But uh, we'll try to get to, to San Francisco. <laughs> no, I could see uh, some very, like, it's a very strong base layer from which building blocks can be on. I'm just, I have no idea if this is possible. People just create function in Excel sheets that every time you, your node interacts with the plugin and updates a cell, maybe... It, another cell and another sheet does something automatically, which sends your Bitcoin maybe to cold yeah. storage automatically or at a certain threshold, you get 500,000 Satoshis. All right. Send this to the main chain or something like that. You could absolutely do that. Um, I'm, you know, I, I don't have them created yet, but I know that they're, they're pretty trivial to create user defined functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could cr- even have someone creating VBA macros that are interacting with the Excel plugin. Uh, because the Excel plugin I wrote is in C sharp. Uh, but end users would still be able to write VBA macros that would be able to interact with that. Um, and then the other thing is that you have, uh, because it's in C sharp, uh, with, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of programming skill, but not a huge amount. You could write a complementary Excel plugin. So this, this complementary Excel plugin might connect to like a, an API that has like, uh, real time stats about sports. Mm-hmm. You know, and then like, but they charge you money to use the API. They charge you, charge you lightning, uh, you know, Satoshi's on lightning. Um, and, and then you ch- converse with another API that takes sports bets and you're sending them lightning payments and you're actually determining what sports bets to take by doing some analytics in your spreadsheet, uh, based on the data that you're paying for with lightning. And then you're placing those bets, uh, you know, with lightning on another service. That's pretty dope. Yeah, so I think that like I want to see like mashups like that with because that's kind of the idea behind if this then that. I don't know if you've ever used that website, but like combining APIs in a way that allows you to create a, a user-defined uh, useful tool. Yeah, it's like I mean Zapier on crack. It sounds like Zapier mm-hmm. is a great mm-hmm. tool. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
well, thank you for building. Are you looking for help? Are you? Uh, it's 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 definitely like it's a pet the, project. The prototype right now. is working. Uh, there are a number of what I view as like baseline features that need to be added before I release it publicly. Um, and then there's there's plenty of bugs that I need to fix before embarrassing myself to the public and leaving a bad first impression. Uh, but it's it's getting ironed out, and uh, I, I do have the uh, time and bandwidth to. Well, I, I've made the time to work on this, frankly, because I'm very excited about it, uh, and I want to continue building on it. Uh, what I want to do is actually have it uh, be behind a paywall, and so to to access the software itself, you gotta act, become a member of a website that's you know behind a paywall. I don't know. I don't know what the pricing is going to be. It's something like twenty dollars a month. Sounds about right. Um, if you want the source code because you're a developer and you want to like contribute to it. That would be a free free thing on GitHub, and you can compile it and run the plugin yourself. Um, end users don't want to do that; they just want the binary. And frankly, like end users are negative externality in, in source <laughs> software because uh, you would be doing like Windows support for Lightning users for like thirty years for free if I put it out as a binary for free. Um, so I figure this is a good in between, uh, and then have like. Not not just like the software available behind a paywall, but also a community of people who are like lightning power users and mm-hmm. who are helping each other troubleshoot problems, uh, coming up with creative ideas on how to use this software, uh, and then also like having access to me as the developer of the plugin uh, to troubleshoot problems. And then the other thing that I think is missing for a lot of people who are getting onto lightning and onboarding is like a mainnet faucet. And... Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to where like if you download this plugin, you're online and you have a dollar to spend on Lightning Network up front right away so that you can get on Satoshi's place and make that drawing you wanted to make uh, without the friction of having to go to a Bitcoin exchange to buy Bitcoin. So I think that like a nice perk would be access to a, a mainnet faucet where you can be up and running pretty quickly. Yeah, no, that's a good way to subsidize paying users too. Yeah. Uh, Fascinating stuff, Pierre. A lot has changed since the first time we met uh, in the studio. Yeah. You more optimistic, less optimistic? I think it's uh, a stupid question to ask you, but... Yeah, I, I mean, uh, probably just less optim- optimistic just mathematically because we're on the, the backside of the bubble and it's always uh, more price optimism on on the upside of the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, that's kind of short-term like price talk. Uh, I'm talking like Bitcoin fundamentals. B- Bitcoin fundamentals, uh, way more optimistic because of lightning, uh, troubled by the inflation bug that we had uh, earlier this year. Talk about it. Why are you, tr- why are you troubled? Um, Shot across the bow of reality? Yeah, it could have been a really bad outcome mm-hmm. uh, if it had been exploited for a substantial period of time. And uh, my hobby horse is Bitcoin's monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And I talk about how that monetary policy is enforced by a peer-to-peer network of nodes. Those nodes are running software. If that software has a bug in it that accidentally does not enforce the monetary policy, then we've got a, a big problem. A yeah, big is- problem. Uh, and yeah, uh, the reality is that software is going to have bugs, but I've, I've always been in the fortunate position of memeing about other software projects, bugs, and not, you know, my favorite ones, bugs. Um, 
but it's it's always good to be reminded that no, nothing's sacred, nothing's invincible. Definitely, definitely. No, if that bug did anything, it was a nice call to action to get more eyes in the review and testing process, yep. which is imperative. Um, Absolutely. And so like today we have uh, Chain Code Labs that is contributing a huge amount to Bitcoin development. And uh, I think that there's room for like 20 more Chain Code Labs. Right. Lately. Like, I think it would be awesome to have uh, multiple developers on every single square inch of uh, the Bitcoin Core repository uh, so that uh, not only is all the code being thoroughly reviewed by a number of uh, you know, very intelligent C++ developers, but also that the, the code is evolving in a direction of uh, greater maturity and greater reliability and, and, and more features and like a, a, a network that, for example, we had a SegWit upgrade to, to help with on-chain scaling. Like we're going to need to continue to do optimizations going forward. Uh, Bitcoin's not a Bitcoin base layer of on-chain transactions is not a finished product. Uh, and, and I think it's premature to, for people to be calling for like, oh, you know, we need to stop working on Bitcoin uh, and like freeze it. I think that's that's uh, that's not a good idea. No, it's ideal in the long run, but definitely not right now. Mm. Well, like, for example, something like Schnorr, like in the long run, like we're going to want to continue to upgrade, quote unquote, like the uh, algorithms that we use in different you know, parts of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it's kind of the, the transaction signature, but or the output signature. But um, there'll be other things. Around. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out what's going on in the Bitcoin development world, go on to Bitcoin Axe. That's a c k s dot org or dot com. Uh, dot com. I got dot the com. dot com on that because uh, <laughs> despite Bitcoin being a hot, uh, you know, uh, keyword for domain names. Axe is a completely, you know, random for that. Suffix. Yeah, <laughs> set of letters. Even though, like, I think I should have paid more than $10 for it. Uh, that's yeah. dot com. This is uh, another thing that Pierre's done the year since we last recorded. He built this website, bitcoinaxe.com. You can go and check out the development. And really what it does is help developers filter the most yeah. uh, popular pull requests and what's in C at a high so, level what's gotten the most uh, attention and yeah interest yeah and i i started on this before the inflation bug um yeah uh, quite a few months ago and because i already recognized that like there was kind of an issue in bitcoin core of like the difficulty of the review process and the contribution process and the friction there i think was like reducing the number of contributions that we would otherwise have um, and I have like a very strong web development background. So I, I kind of saw a niche that a website that I could create, which would be a layer on top of GitHub that takes the details that are inside of pull requests and surfaces them to a top level so that a, a maintainer or someone who's looking for pull requests to review could uh, more quickly identify candidate pull requests to focus on. Yeah, and thank you for that as well. Uh, actually, very helpful from the developers I've talked to who have used yeah. it. You say it could help with like 3% of uh, efficiency uh, when it could, or can yeah. create a 3% efficiency gain for these developers. I think you've estimated before. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think that it's ended up being more than that. Okay. To my surprise. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if it's like, I think if it's like a 10% increase in productivity and there's 20 contributors, that means that I've added two contributors, right, from 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 doing this. And 
maybe that's optimistic. But even if it's adding one contributor, like these people have very specialized knowledge bases and any amount of uh, extra work we get out of them. <laughs> it's like, it, it sounds like I'm like their taskmaster, but really, I mean, they 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 want to get more work done, right? Like they want their, their pull requests to get merged in more quickly than they are. Yeah, no, it's... Uh it's beneficial all around. We've uh, we're above two hours here. It's been a pleasure. We always go long. The first one was three hours. For uh, hey, we can keep going, but I'm I'm gonna lose my voice at some point. I think you're gonna lose your voice, and uh, we gotta eat some steak. Yeah, sounds is, good. Is there a parting note you want to imbue on the the freaks uh, for this year anniversary of our first episode? Uh, yeah. Um. I think that like if you're listening to this podcast, it means that you're interested in Bitcoin <laughs> beyond just uh, buying it on Coinbase and sitting on it. So I, I would just encourage you to like um, not not just listen to Marty Ben's podcast, also listen to the Noted podcast, but definitely also uh, go read books. Uh, whether those books are about economics, you know, like uh, human action, like some Austrian economics. Um, or on the other extreme, like computer science books about like C++ or about networks or about, you know, all sorts of these different topics that are relevant to Bitcoin or books about Bitcoin, whether it's Bitcoin Standard or um, Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh, like dig, dig deeper and keep scratching because like this, I, I know firsthand that this is an onion that you can just keep peeling. And it's not like you're going to read Mastering Bitcoin and you're going to have Mastered Bitcoin. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, that book is has not only does it have inaccuracies in it that, you know, I, I, I grant that I should be spending time fixing them, but it also has things that it's simplified. Um, mm-hmm. And so just, just keep peeling the onion and, and uh, learning more. And I think because the more you know about Bitcoin – the more you start to realize areas where you might be able to contribute to Bitcoin, mm-hmm. uh, even as a non-developer. Um, so for example, like maybe there's an aspect of Bitcoin that just isn't well explained. And a lot of people think like everything's already been explained, but we still have new pieces coming out, whether it's like uh, Dan Held's pieces about Bitcoin's like origin story mm-hmm. um, that have like really interesting insights in them and, and are synthesizing existing information in new forms uh, or like Nick Carter or uh, Brendan Bernstein, like they're, they've come out with content that um, is, is synthesizing things that already exist and combining it with new insights of theirs. And so like, clearly there's, there's uh, more, more, more proselytizing, more analysis to be done and yeah that's it that's that's what i would say is uh, there's there's a lot to contribute to bef- beyond the code but including the code so maybe learn how to program as well like uh, go on code academy learn some python and get started down that road that's where i started five years ago i i started on code academy and just started learning how to do python and then learned how to do c plus plus like uh and I've contributed very small cosmetic pull requests to Bitcoin Core. How's that feel? Uh, it feels very small and cosmetic, but uh, really, it feels fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you for your contributions. And I would agree. Yeah, there's, I mean, I would like to think what I'm doing here is one of those paths through which I can contribute to Bitcoin because I'm not going to be writing any code anytime soon. Um, yeah, I think that, um, and I enjoy doing this as well, of like giving a platform to others right. who know more than I do. <laughs> uh, and like, we've had like Alex Bosworth on the Noted podcast and he now works at Lightning Labs. So I want to have him back on to talk about that. But like he... When he came on and he was talking about the Lightning Network, I had no clue what he was saying. I really didn't know what he was saying. And so, like, if you go back and listen to that episode and you hear me, like, change the subject abruptly, it's because I had no clue what to, like, respond with because I was like, well, that went over my head. I, I don't know how our audience is going to understand this. Um, but now I want to go back. And now that I know a thing or two about Lightning, I want to go back and listen to it again. Well, Alex, this is your calling card to get back on the Noted podcast and yeah. also an open invite to TFTC. I yeah. think I've sent that to you already. I don't know if we've talked about it, though. Um, Pierre, it's always a pleasure. So next year, Marty, when we do this again, I want it to be like we have a, a, a co-owned podcast studio of... Uh, I honestly would love that. The Bitcoin Podcasters Union. That would be fun. We should actually sidebar that. I've been thinking something. Yeah. Um, all right. So my better half uh, is is not the biggest fan of turning our studio apartment into a podcasting studio. But luckily, she's not here right now. Um, yeah, and I actually, I have to kick my wife out of our home office to, when I want to <laughs> podcast. And so I think that she probably frowns upon that as well. And and also, like, she would frown upon me, like, soundproofing the entire room because I'll have fire trucks, you know, fly down the streets of Brooklyn and ruin a recording. Yeah. No, that's like my... That's why I'm looking for other studios because I have the, the JYZ going behind me at all times, like in the studio I'm in now. And it's like, yeah. yeah. We digress, though. Um, again, thank you for helping launch this podcast and all that you've done for Bitcoin, uh, evangelizing it, building on top of it, uh, helping people see the light. You know, it's been a, a huge pleasure. And the other thing is that, like, I one of my cliche sayings is, like, life is as hard as you make it and because like i see people making their lives like really hard around and i don't have anyone in particular in mind but um the other thing too is like life is as much of a joy as you make it like exactly if if you find something that um and people often say like oh follow your passions i'm like now like become passionate about things that you're doing i like that is is kind of the opposite like sort of opposite take out take um and yeah so so seeing seeing bitcoin grow and and seeing my son grow uh there there's parallels to that i, I do consider bitcoin to be a a, a distant maybe nephew of mine like i'm not <laughs> going to claim to be like you know a founding father of bitcoin but i'm a uh yeah because i'm a newbie a newbie compared to some people <laughs> well we appreciate uh all you've done as a newbie uh that's all we have this week, freaks. This is the end of our seven-day podcasting binge, uh, recording binge. I'm happy to end it with you, Pierre. Uh, peace and love, freaks. <laughs>